Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etherton Friends. And I have my old friend, Reverend Dr. Angie McCarty. It's so long. (laughs) So many titles, so much prestige. Uh, I am so proud, so proud of this doctorate that you have earned you 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 don't you're not granted a doctorate you didn't you weren't yeah. given an honorary doctorate you Mm-mm. you busted your butt and you earned this <laughs> phd behind your name or actually demon no demon demon behind your name uh so we're diving back into our conversation around messy sex but before we do angie i feel like i owe our listeners an apology so um is it okay if I take a moment to go there? <laughs> go there. Go there. Speaking of messy, never in my 30 years of ministry has my life been so messy. And that's why it has taken so long to get around to episodes three, four, five, however many we're going to do on this topic. Yep. Yeah. Um, so this year has been such a challenge on our family. Because in February, my mom had meningitis, encephalitis, and COVID, and then four days later, developed a bleeding ulcer that had to have emergency surgery, so she almost died twice in the same week. I had to move her to Springfield, Missouri from Texas after having lived in Texas for 60 years. Uh, I've had to move her to two different facilities here. Um, This is on top, and by the way, she has dementia and has had for the past three years. And I have been navigating that journey on my own. My brother is not available. And so um, this is on top of caring for a husband uh, who has gone through cancer treatments and chemo and now is allergic to everything under the sun because of what the chemo treatments did to his immune system. So being the caregiver for a mom with dementia and a husband with cancer, and then also We've been building out our 3,200 square foot barn, um, turning it into a barn dominium so we can use the main house as a VRBO and where we do our workshops. So I've had major construction going on as well. So three huge things that were pulling me in a multitude of different directions that the podcast just had to take the back burner for a little while. So part of me... Part of me says, I don't apologize for that because my mom and my husband and our life is more important. But Angie, I was thrilled to get this text message from uh, a listener and client of mine. And she said, come on, ladies, don't leave me hanging. I need with like 10 E's. I need parts three, four and five and however many you want to do on this subject. And she said, I am absolutely loving this. I have been walking in freedom for a while now, thanks to our counseling sessions, which are coaching sessions. I can't call them counseling, but thanks to our coaching sessions, uh, I'm likely getting remarried next year. Uh, Hopefully any day now, uh, he's going to be popping the question. I hope that he has, you know who you are. Uh, I won't even say her first name, but You get the idea of, we have left our listeners hanging, so I'm so glad that we're back in the podcast chair and diving in today, and I understand your life has been a little bit messy lately, too. Always. I mean, when is it ever not messy when you have a whole bunch of kids and a sister-in-law who lives with us who has Down syndrome, and she is 
going deeper in the throes of dementia every day to losing her hearing and um, things like that, which is a normal progression for someone who's 55 and has Down syndrome. You know, 20 years ago, she wouldn't still be here. So every day with her is a gift. The other big thing, this sounds so insignificant compared to what you've been going through, but I became a football mom this year for the first time. And, and we have had three kids in marching band. So I think I understood, I thought I understood like the, the harriedness of the fall semester at marching band, even at a competition level marching band was nothing compared to football and how that takes over, not just your life, but the entire family's life. Right. right. Yeah. So uh, we came through that and, you know, just the normal work and, and growing your marriage and not becoming complacent and trying to be healthy myself. Like when is life ever not messy? Right. Right. And what I want to do right now is take an opportunity to take our listeners on a little journey, apply this to yourself, learn vicariously through this conversation. Angie, when you and I first met, remember you were a single youth pastor and you longed to be married and you longed to have children. And here you are. No. <laughs> like we, we can't forget what a blessing yeah. it is to have loved ones that we need to care for. Cause like you said, every day is a gift when life is precarious Um, and marriage does require work and raising children does require work. And it takes a lot of energy and focus. And I know that women especially really struggle with having sexual energy because of all the other demands of life. So I just want to say to all of you, not just women, but men too, we get it. We, yeah learning to not just find time for sexual and emotional connection and relationship building, intimacy building, learning to make the time, not just find the time, because you'll never find the time, making the time for what is important, because this is what Charlie and I have learned through this season. I think that when you are going through life-threatening things, um, there is a preciousness to life, if that's a word, preciousness, Mm -hmm. That making love, leaning in, looking for comfort, looking to relax, looking to take your mind off of the multitude of decisions that you have to make as a caregiver or whatever is going on in your life. It's like a vacation that you have to have to refill your cup and recharge your batteries. Do you find that leaning in with Jonathan and making time to make love helps you keep your sanity as a pastor, as a mom? Yes, without a doubt. That is what reconnects us better than anything else and calls us back to that place of wonder and awe in our relationship that that something that God created that is as precious as sex can bring two people together at a level of intimacy that sometimes I feel is not human. Most of the time. I mean, it is, it's otherworldly. It is. Yeah. It's heavenly. I'm at work right now and he is also on the staff at church of the resurrection. So I'm just going to let you go and I'm going to go walk down to his office and (laughs) 
Now, if we have that super awkward listeners that they're like, let me press the pause button and go make love to yeah. my mate, then our, our job is done. Sexual yes. confidence on tap. You're baby. welcome. Your cup is full. <laughs> go pour it out. <laughs> so love it. Speaking of uh, building out our barn, um, it takes a lot of time and effort and energy to build a house inside a house. We are on the like downhill slide here with the last 2%, but um, speaking of building, the last two episodes, I feel as if we're very foundational to our conversation. Mm -hmm. And just like you would never, ever, ever build a house without laying a strong foundation. Fortunately, our foundation was already here for this Barnabinian project. That's the one thing I haven't had to do is lay a foundation. I've just been able to build. But uh, some people may feel like, let's just hurry up and get to the part of just tell me what to do. Just tell me what I can do prior to marriage. Tell me what I can do inside of marriage. Tell me what to tell my kids. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm not going to do that because I feel as if that would be building the house without the strong foundation. Right. To take the time to really unpack what we've been told, what we've been taught, what we've understood about scripture, or more accurately, what we've misunderstood about scripture, I think is absolutely vital to the conversation. So if you're if you're just tuning into this episode, I would really encourage you to start with part one, lay the foundation, and we're going to continue with foundation laying today. I want to know more about your research. I want to know more about what you teased our listeners with on the last episode about embodiment theology, because I didn't know that there was a term for this concept that God is sexual in nature, not sexually active. Like we so humanize it and bring it down to earth and go, no, he's not because he he doesn't have a a wife or whatever. Stop, just stop. God transcends gender. He transcends orientation. He transcends the body. Uh, But God is spiritual and sexual in nature because he designed human beings in his image and we are designed to be spiritual and sexual in nature because we are a reflection of him. So do you want to start with embodiment theology or do you want to unpack some of your research? Because I'm dying to know what you learned. Like this is not just Angie's philosophies and theologies. Personally, you had to do a high level of academic research to earn this doctorate. Yep. So where do you want to start? I don't know. Um, so the research that I do, well, so let's talk about the difference between a PhD and a D men, doctorate of ministry, not like demon. If I say it really fast and it makes me sound like demon. I have like horns or something. I'm a, <laughs> you demon. Are a demon. Yes. You have enough uh, of those. Someone, someone say that I already had that. I, it reminds yeah, me of my so, favorite bumper sticker. Sometimes I wrestle with my demons. Other times we just snuggle. <laughs> Tell us about That's the difference between a good. demon yes. and a PhD. So a PhD has a higher bar for original research and a demon can depend upon research that's already been done. Okay. So I could take the research that, um, that in particular Linda K. Klein did in her book, Pure, which was kind of my jumping off point. Her research was primarily narrative. She spoke to people who had been harmed by the purity movement. And she made this case that 
that the church had done damage. That was the place where I wanted to delve in and understand a little bit more what that damage felt like and how it could be um, remedied is to trite a word, how, how we could find healing from the harm that the church had done to Which people. Which starts with acknowledgement of the pain. Of the pain, right? And the church and, and Linda is... Kind of, Linda Klein really lifted the veil yes. to expose the reality that there is pain. And I don't want to lessen the importance of narrative research. I think that mm-hmm. Brene Brown would be a classic example of a narrative yes. researcher. So I need to have Linda K, or I want to say Linda K Klein. I don't know that that's her middle initial. Linda, I need to have Linda Klein. Linda K, K-A-Y, Klein. Oh, is is that her her name? name. That's Mm -hmm. why I get that in my head. Okay, thank you for clarification. Yeah. Yeah, we need to have her on the show to discuss. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, continue. Yeah, Um, and to your listeners, if you have not read her book, it is an easy read. It is heartfelt it's just it's heartbreaking Mm. so out of a doctorate of ministries research has to come a practical ministry solution so based on my research i created a four-week small group class that i then implemented to a group of women online and that class that small group experience was designed to heal some of that damage, to provide a different way of talking about sexuality, looking at sexuality, thinking of ourselves as sexual beings and reclaiming some of that power too that we have um, and our agency to become the people that God created us to be. Okay, so that's kind of the foundation for the research. Let me just briefly tell you about the research. I created a survey that was designed to identify people who grew up in the church through adolescence, primarily, Mm -hmm. while they were adolescents, they adopted a purity-based sexual ethic, then as adults, they were still in the church, but had different, had changed their sexual ethic from one of purity to um, more inclusivity and openness, or they were just questioning, like, what is the alternative? Is there an alternative? And they felt negative emotions. I know that emotions are not positive or negative, but they felt um, conflict, anger, betrayal, any of these um, emotions that I listed that were not happy, like, yeah, I feel okay that I think differently now than what I was taught. So I sent this paradigm shift, right, right. They had had a paradigm shift and they were experiencing cognitive dissonance because of that shift. Explain cognitive dissonance. Yes. Conflict in your head, (laughs) but you have two competing or more than two, you have competing thoughts that you can't reconcile. And a lot of times when we're experiencing cognitive dissonance, we'll go and seek therapy. We'll find someone to talk to and try to sort through those issues. Um, I mean, usually when people seek marital therapy, it's because of cognitive dissonance that, that this is what I think a relationship should be like, but this is what it actually is. And I don't know how to talk about that. And I don't know what to do about it. Right. So that, that doing there's- part, that next step. 
Right. And so often there is a conflict between our sexuality and our spirituality because of what we've been taught. Um, Because that's how the church set it up. Exactly. That's what the church taught. They set us up for cognitive dissonance. Sex is a dirty, nasty, awful thing. So you should Uh save it for your husband or wife. Right. Right. And yeah, I'll, I'll get back to that. Um, cause there's a primary piece of my, that came out of my research to explain just that. So I put the survey out in a couple of different places on the internet. I sent it to my whole personal group, um, email group. I posted it on my Facebook page. So just anybody could take it. Um, But then I also posted it to some Facebook groups that I'm in for deconstructing evangelicalism. That's where the majority of my results came from. And while that is in the scholarly sense limiting that that I focused on a group that would um, that would have the tendency to confirm my biases, right? Right? I did that on purpose. Because those were the doing people I was research, looking for. They need yep. to have a story to tell. <laughs> yes. So I got about, I actually cut off the survey at 300 responses, which was and is the most responses any doctorate of ministry candidate has ever received to a survey at St. Paul School of Theology. And there you go. I just have to say that that's record, because record they you. want to talk about this stuff. Yes. They want a safe place where they can say, I'm really struggling here. So from that, those 300 people, I identified 82 who fit those characteristics, had adopted a more conservative purity-based ethic. Now we're struggling to articulate an ethic And they were experiencing conflict or cognitive dissonance from that. I invited those 82 people. Oh, I should also say only women and only straight women, because I didn't want to, um, to bring in more variables into my research. Um, so men may think differently and I didn't want to sort through that. And, um, LGBTQ people may think differently and I didn't want to have that variable in there too. It's not that men and LGBTQ folk don't struggle with these exact same voice, things. Absolutely. Right. Right. And, but you just looked and, at this segment of the population. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so I invited those 82 women to have a one hour interview with me. 26 of them said yes. So I did 26 hours of interviews. And I will tell you that those 26 hours confirmed for me why God put me on this earth. It oh. was... It was shocking and humbling how people just opened their entire lives to me and were honest and vulnerable from the very beginning. They didn't know me. I mean, at all. We exchanged emails Um, and they shared their pain. It it was just phenomenal. All of those women were- Ministry just listening. Well, you know, that's that's what you do too. Yeah. So of those 26, seven women agreed to participate in this four-week class. Um, One woman declined. Everyone else was interested, but couldn't make the time frame that that we settled on. And in these four weeks, we talked about the foundation, 
that we've talked about in the previous two episodes. We talked about hermeneutics. We watched some funny videos from Jane the Virgin and the the flower being crumpled up. And this is what your sex sexuality is like when you have um, given yourself to somebody else. Um, it, so, and we talked about, I mean, we started by sharing our stories and again, they all just opened up in front of each other. We laughed, we cried. Um, we talked about um, the foundation of marriage and what marriage is in our culture and how that compares to marriage in um, in ancient times, in biblical times. And from these seven women, the results that they gave, the feedback that they gave was that this was a healing experience, that it also helped them identify how much work they needed to do. But if that, if what I was able to offer gave them just a piece of what that freedom, that healing could feel like, then I did my job and right. will continue to do my job. This sounds a lot like the work that Charlie and I do at Couples at the Well, at Women at the Well too, but certainly at Couples at the Well, where we give husbands and wives an opportunity to deconstruct that which was constructed but is no longer serving them well because yes. of that cognitive dissonance that's mm -hmm. a very academic term yes but it, i think <laughs> that it is it resides in people so deeply that they might not even recognize it's like the frog in the water thing they don't even yes. recognize how much tension they feel in their spirit between their spirituality and their sexuality but when you get them talking and sharing their stories you, you hear it, you sense it, you feel it and calling it to their attention. Mm -hmm. I think that just to say, I see you, I hear you, yeah, yeah. I feel your pain. That is powerful shit that helps people mm -hmm. get beyond the hangups that it created. Right. I just feel like the hangups are what holds people back sexually and they don't even yeah. see it as a hurdle or a hangup, but yes, mm -hmm. continue. Well, from the interviews, rose five common themes that the majority of the respondents held. And this was, this was how I designed, I designed my curriculum from these five themes. Okay. So the first theme that rose was that sexuality was always presented as non-nuanced. It was an either or issue. And Black the and interview, mm -hmm, the interview participants have realized through experience and through life that it is an incredibly complex issue. Number two, the purity movement promised a great sex life within marriage if a couple didn't have sex before marriage. And it also promised that premarital sex would be awful and would damage a person's spirit. And they experienced that neither of those were a reality for them. This is this is the one that I said I'd go back to. This is the cognitive dissonance. So people were told that like God is going to come down and and hit you with a bolt of lightning if you have sex before you're married, married and it's going to be really, really hard. And at the I very least, strike you down with chlamydia and infertility. Uh, and probably pregnancy and death. Yeah. And... I talked to several oh, women. God's character and nature. Not saying that right. consequences aren't real sometimes, but it's of not course. God's punishment right. for not doing the right thing, quote unquote. Right. But that is the mentality. And it is. It is. 
And so they had sex for the first time and they went, wait, this was really good. And wait, I don't think that I am permanently damaged and no, we're not going to get married, but I'm okay with that. And it, it wasn't this trauma that they thought it was going to be. And then the same, and then, and then others would say, I waited to have sex with the promise that this was going to be amazing. And it wasn't. And I've recently um, had a conversation with my ex-husband. Imagine how um, comfortable this would be (laughs) that as I think about uh, publishing this and my experience with him being a large part of, of what drove me to this research that uh, we waited to have sex with each other before we were married and our sex life was so difficult. So I wanted to make sure that that was his experience too, so that I didn't like write a book and then have to pull all that information because he wouldn't sign off on it. Right. So, so it, um, it was his experience too. And I think if I'm being really honest, that I believed my sex life was bad because I had had sex with other people before I was married. And that was punishment. So how sad that it wasn't genuine damage caused by the sex. It was damage caused by your belief that you were damaged. Yes. Talk about a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, without a doubt. Yes. Yeah. Because you had been taught that. not just taught that, I think that in the purity movement, there is this sense of ingraining it. I mean, it becomes a part of who you are, not what you've done. So I was dirty and I was bringing my dirtiness to a relationship, to a marriage that I didn't save myself for. Now, neither did he, but did I ever think, oh, well, he had sex with other people too. Maybe it's partly his responsibility. Oh no. No, it was all mine. I mean, that it's always that, a woman's um, fault. It's always a woman's fault. Well, okay, so let's go on to our next number three common theme. Women are responsible for their own purity and the purity of their male partner. Uh-huh. She should not dress mm-hmm. immodestly. She should mm-hmm. not awaken his desires. Mm-hmm. She should not tease or flaunt. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yes. Number four, shame was and is always interconnected with sexuality. This is so not biblical. <laughs> this is just, it's just not. <laughs> right, right. Well, right. I, mean, I immediately think of the Garden of Eden of mm-hmm. there was no guilt, no shame, no inhibition because sin hadn't entered the picture when they were commanded to be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. So shame came in post fall of man but it was never mm-hmm. God's attention from the start. Right. We read that passage thinking that there is shame in their nakedness. But I read um, a very good scholarly article. And, you know, you're always free to disagree with scholarly articles. Like that doesn't make them inherently perfect. Um, but But this article claimed that the shame was not towards their sexuality or their nakedness. The shame was because they felt shame and shame is not godly. So that was an interesting, interesting. Wow. So it kind of goes along with what you just described about your own feeling of damage. Mm -hmm. 
it wasn't because you were truly damaged. It was because you believed you were damaged. Yep. So the shame was because they felt shame or embarrassment. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's a paradigm shift. Uh-huh. Right. That was worth the price of admission right. for today's episode. <laughs> and wow. that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really, mic drop. <laughs> yep. Okay. And then number five, and this is the, the saddest one to me, that the majority of interview participants felt negativity towards the church not the church where they heard these messages, the church universal. God. Right. 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 This is, you just touched a raw nerve that keeps me focused on this ministry for 30 years. And I'll do it for another 30 years. If God gives me that many, is it people's sexuality is my secondary concern. My primary concern is what, has the sexual damage that the church and I and we collectively as a church body that we have done, what has that done to their spiritual life? Ultimately, I'm most concerned with how people feel about their relationship with God or how they feel about God's character and nature because we have jacked that up for people because of these conversations around sex. And we have jacked up how people feel, how people relate to themselves too. And our LGBTQ brothers and sisters are the ones who have taught us this because when the church said, well, yes, you're a sexual being, but you can't get married. Therefore you can't have sex. What they said was I, as a person am not separable from my being as a sexual person. We have expected people to divorce mm-hmm. their their sexuality from their spirituality mm-hmm. and God should be enough for you, even right. though God made you a sexual being. Right. And talk we, about cognitive dissonance. Well, and and as as heterosexuals, the church doesn't say anything to us because we're considered the norm. Um mm-hmm. I mean, the numerical majority, um, we don't, we don't get any teachings from the church because I think the church assumed that our sexuality, that our, um, that our just being human, that sex was going to come easy, that understanding our sexuality was, was just, it's just who we are. Now they never taught that. So the church was saying to LGBTQ people, you have to divorce yourself. While there were plenty of straight people who were separated from their sexuality that got no acknowledgement. Right. So that, uh, this is layered. It's like an one back and, and, if I think if we include embodiment theology in this, it's going to be an hour long podcast and that's never what we are going so, for. So maybe we need to just give a little tickler for that. Um, okay. So we'll save embodiment but, theology for next time. But I also want to say that at some point we need to also do an episode on we're not villainizing the church. We're not villainizing certain Christians, we would have to villainize ourselves if we were going to make it that. Mm -hmm. I do want to do an episode on what we believe these good-hearted people, including ourselves, probably intended 
and the misunderstandings that they held just so there can be forgiveness and healing because to just be angry at the church and mad at the people who taught you this and blame it on them is not the solution to healing but we'll we'll save that for another conversation too. continue on these are five really strong points that I don't think anyone can argue with that are realities and and that is that is kind of the crux of all of this that that the harm and what harm has been done we need to understand so that we can work towards healing and wholeness but the just the baseline that harm has been done the church caused the church's teachings caused harm with the best of intentions shannon i fully believe that so i'm excited that we'll get back to that um that that now the church is the only place where this can be fully healed because it's not just becoming reconciled to yourself or to your partner but to God mm-hmm. and recognizing that that yes it was this institution that taught harmful practices and um an ethos and the church can be a really good place where God is alive and offers freedom and hope. Well, that's what I was going to ask is an opinion question. And this may just be splitting hairs. Uh, it, it could be not either or, but both and. But I know that when I'm working with a couple, I have to work with them as individuals before Mm -hmm. I can really identify what they need as a couple, because they're coming into that relationship with two individual paradigms and individual experiences Mm -hmm. and helping them heal as a woman and as a a man, if they're a straight couple, helping them go through that process is foundational to helping them heal as a married couple. So the question that I pose to you is, people who have written off God and faith and church and Christianity all together. Do you think that it's necessary that they heal that relationship with God before they can fully heal themselves? Or do you think that it's possible for a person to start with trying to heal themselves and that that's foundational to reconnecting with God? So I'm going to propose a third option here. I think that any healing we do on ourselves is from God whether a person recognizes that or not. So it's not either or. It's it's, not either. Oh, hey, it's messy. It's messy. (laughs) That it all happens at the same time, right? Well, I always describe sexuality and spirituality as two sides of the same coin. So basically you're you're saying we work on the coin. We heal the coin. And it's not that we heal one side of the coin, but not the other side of the coin. If we we help the coin, we help the coin. We would say that a healthy person is a well-integrated person and someone who is having difficulty uh, integrating is compartmentalizing. And so it's not that we heal our family of origin issues and then can move on to our marital issues and then to our parenting issues. And then only at the end, when all of that stuff is tied up, we can then go on to heal our great, big, huge relationship with God. Everything affects everything. And if we don't believe that about ourselves, we're 
yeah, we're sunk. Right. Yeah. We can't oversimplify the complexity of our sexuality and our spirituality and how they work together in tandem. But here's the really exciting part that I want to end with, because I realized that we have to cut it off somewhere so we can pick it up. Again. I know, I know. My grandmother used to say, you got to hurry up and leave so you can hurry up and come back. Oh, we got to hurry up and wrap so this sweet. up so we can pick it back up again. So um, ah, forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> well, then let me let me jump in here. Um, as I think about publishing and know that I have to have a more uh, concise pitch, like like what is my two sentence elevator pitch? I don't have it quite down to two sentences. But what I just want to say is that the church has to be comfortable in the mess. That the church has to recognize that this is so much more complicated and humans have to recognize that it's so much more complicated than we have ever been willing to talk about before. And does that mean we might not have hard and clear answers? Black for and people? white answers, right. We have to get yeah. comfortable with the discomfort. We have with to the suspend nuance. our judgment. We have to suspend the cancel culture thing. We have to stop yep stop we have to stop not listening to other yeah. people's perspectives we have to just yeah. open our mind and heart wide to what the holy spirit might want to say to us through someone who's really messing with our paradigms but now I remember and, what and I you know say, you know where else we ne very naturally embrace nuance in the church when we talk about the two greatest commandments the greatest commandments to love god and love neighbor that's just about the most nuanced thing I could ever imagine. What does that look like? There are 5,432,000 ways that we can do the greatest commandment. And we talk about that freely and we embrace the nuance. Only there. one way to have sex. Missionary position, lights off, Saturday night between cisgendered, heterosexual, husband and wife. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and is yeah. that reflective of what's really happening on this planet? I don't Not so much. Think so. Okay, Based back on, to you before you forget it again. Yeah. So what I was gonna say is <laughs> integrating that sexuality and spirituality because both of them feel whole and healed, and now they're operating in tandem with one another instead of creating this tension and cognitive cognitive dissonance with one another. Having those two fuel each other and have a fusion and a synergy there. That makes you feel more alive, more Be grateful, yes. more in love with God, in love with your body, in love with your pleasure, in love with your mate than anything known to man. And it's better than any drug, any alcohol, any addiction. Like it is, it is mm -hmm. the goal of being fully alive and being Wait, fully and alive is what glorifies God. So I hope unless that it, um, their goal to heal the, both of these areas of their lives. We'll give the caveat and say, unless it's a sexual addiction, because that's a thing too. That is a so, thing. Well, yeah. Yes. When I, when I said the yes. word addiction, it's like, God, do you really want to compare the two? Yeah. But, but it's I messy. Said, yes. <laughs> just the words and the vocabulary and the conversations around these topics are messy yeah and it's so okay sometimes getting it's messy is fun. remember kindergarten finger painting on your desk or oh shannon shaving cream all over a balloon that's not where i went razor like this remember is that time 
back in um, the late 90s when Shannon and Angie got into a jello wrestling pit. That okay, was messing with that last time. <laughs> so now I feel it's like we need to thing. at least a little bit of an explanation. Okay, it was camp. Camp that year was J-E-S-U-S, but we styled it like J-E-L-L-O. So Jello was a theme throughout the week. We had Jello at every meal. We had these Jello balls that we could throw against the wall. Like Jello was the theme. So of course, the dean and the co-dean, um, which I love that your title was indicative Princess. of a drug, because uh, you are very oh, addictive. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Co-dean got into a kid-sized swimming pool full of Jello for a Jello wrestling match. We were not in bikinis. It was not no. sexual. It was not intended to It was so fun. <laughs> fun. And the kids never forgot it. I still have kids in my youth group who are now in their 40s, which is really weird. Uh, telling me, remember when you jello wrestled with Angie Bass? I just, I just have to laugh. It's like, yes, mm-hmm. I'll Me too. never forget that. It's great. And never. on that visual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hey, wait until you. our next one. Yes, yes. We thank you for hanging into this multiple part conversation that I feel like is so important. Like the feeling that Angie described of which she was working with these seven people going through this disentanglement of the knot. I feel as if this is what we are born to do. Help people heal this really tender, intimate part of their lives. So it is just such an honor that you are listening to this episode. Yeah. We don't take this responsibility lightly. Please pray for us as we continue to have these really important conversations, not just about sex, but about God. So we thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. We love you for listening. And thanks for tapping on us. 